You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. You can have Fort Knox, but if the people don't have the culture of security, then they'll let you through the gate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast. This is the show where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Later in the show, Carol Terrio returns. She's got an interview with a physical pen tester who goes by the name Freaky Clown. And we are back. Joe, why don't you kick things off for us this week? What do you got for us? So, Dave, sometimes bad practice can be just as effective as social engineering. <laughs> what, do you, or, what do you mean by effective? <laughs> or or maybe, maybe I should call this accidental social engineering. Okay, go on. So we have a story from an anonymous listener. All right. I, now, when I say anonymous listener, I know who this listener is. I've talked to this listener multiple times. Okay. So, so I consider this legit listener. listener. I'm, I'm not going to tell you who he is. All right. I will tell you it's a he, obviously, because I just said he, but... (laughs) You're you're slowly giving away this person's identity, (laughs) one slip up at a time. Exactly. All right, go on. They're going to figure it out. Yeah. So it's a story from work. He got an email at work that claimed his employer was doing a file update. Okay. And the email asked that the form be filled out, and it was asking for personal information such as your social security number, license plate number, Hmm. insurance policy number, Mm. your driver's license number, and your date of birth. That's a lot. That is a lot. (laughs) Everyone in the office got the email. Okay. And our listener said, hold on. It might be fake. I'll go check. Ah, all right. Good right. listener. Good listener. Right. He says we have him so paranoid about fishing. <laughs> so he's giving us credit. Right. All right. That, we'll uh, take it. <laughs> right. That He actually takes the time like we often advise. He goes out and he finds out that somebody sent, yes, this is a legitimate email. Right. All Please right. Fill well out done. The form and send it back. Well done. Right. So he took a minute to go and make sure that they, they weren't getting fished, which is great. Yeah. But there's more to the but story. But there's more to the story, right? <laughs> <laughs> this, this, doesn't, this doesn't end here. Okay. Someone in the company fills out the form with all this data, and then when they reply to it, they hit reply all. Of course they did. And they managed to send it to everyone in the company who had received (laughs) the original email. (sighs) It gets better, Dave. Okay, go on. Among the recipients of the original email were some external addresses to Yahoo and Gmail addresses. So now not only has this person sent their own data out to everyone in the company, they've actually sent it outside of the company, presumably to employees who have been using external email addresses as their business email address. Oh. oh. The system here didn't fail. The email did exactly what it was supposed to do. It's the people who use the email that failed. Right. Well, take this one apart. What happened? So here, here are the problems with this. Whoever wrote the first email sent a mass email to everyone in the organization by placing all the names in either the to field or the CC field. Right. Okay. Here's my advice. If you're ever sending out mass emails like this, the best practice is to put everybody in the BCC field, the blind carbon copy field. Right. And then put your own address in the to field. Okay. Okay. The blind carbon copy field means that when I BCC somebody and it's not apparent in all these interfaces. It means that let's say I BCC you and, and send the message to a bunch of people. They will see that the message was sent to them, but they won't see the message was sent to you. Right. So if I put everybody in the BCC field, 
that I'm sending this mass mailing out to. Nobody else sees any of the email addresses that it was sent to. And when somebody hits reply all, which they will do. <laughs> There's always someone. There's always someone. <laughs> At least one person. Exactly. Who has a twitchy reply finger and just can't help themselves. They, they, they can't help themselves. Right. Exactly. Oh. When they hit reply all, the only person it goes back to is the person that sent it or the person in the to address, which is also the person that sent it. So that's yes. what I recommend. Okay. Second, never use an external email address for your business email. It has a number of problems. Number one, it makes it so you have to send your email, your business communications to an outside third-party service that you don't pay for and you therefore you probably shouldn't trust, someone like Yahoo or Gmail. Right. I mean, you can go out and you can buy the Gmail. I'm not saying that they're not trustworthy. Yeah. It's just that that's not under your control. If right. You, if you pay for a service, that's under your control. It's, it's outside the moat. Exactly. You should pay for the service for all your people to have emails, and your company policy should be that no corporate communications will be sent to external emails, maybe with the exception of HR emails that need to be sent yeah. before or some, after someone is employed. Right. So you have that uniformity there. Exactly. You know, everybody's playing by the same rules. Right. Yeah. But generally speaking, business communication should be done to business emails that you control. And finally, this is something that might be a little bit more complex for the average user to implement, but a great idea would be to implement digital signatures for your email. Mm. So if you have a digital signature for your HR person, then when the HR person sends this out, people can see the signature and see that it's valid and it came from the validated user. This requires a lot of technical expertise, not only on the person in HR, but on the people reading the email to understand. So even if you get these things and you go and check that's still fine. And that, and that one is a great idea and you will be more secure, but it, it does have some overhead associated with it. Right, right. All right. Well, hats off to our listener who did the right thing by taking that extra step to check out to see if this was legit. Yep. And thanks for telling us about it, too. And as for the other person, shame on you. Right. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, it wasn't intentional. Right. And no, and, and that's, that's the thing, right? That's, that's the, the thing. thing. A lot of these things are not intentional. Yeah. You know, this is essentially a data breach. What has happened? This is a very small data breach of one person, but this information has left the company network. Right. That's a, a lot of personal information. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's interesting stuff. Well, Joe, my story this week, uh, this comes from Trend Micro, and this is about some criminals who are using malicious memes to communicate with malware. Ah. Now, are you familiar with steganography? I am familiar with steganography. Describe for our listeners what steganography is. Steganography is something that predates encryption, and it is a way of hiding a message in something that looks innocuous. Now, the message is not necessarily encrypted. In, in the very first example of steganography, or the very early examples, I don't know if this is the very first, but in fact, you can read about this in the code book by Simon Singh, which is an excellent book on the history of cryptography. Generals in an army would take a piece of wood and they'd carve a message into the piece of wood. And then they'd take wax and cover the board in wax and carve another message in the wax. And the person receiving it knew that the message in the wax was meaningless to oh. melt the wax off and read the message that was carved in the wood. I see. So if someone intercepted this piece of wood, they would think that the message carved in the wax perhaps was the message right. throwing them off the trail. And then they'd send it on their way because they wouldn't want to disturb the message because once you collect the intelligence, you still want the enemy to act on it, right? But then mm -hmm. you can anticipate it. And if you actually managed to scrape off the wax, you destroyed the original message. And when somebody received the hidden message, they'd already know 
that somebody knew the contents of the hidden message. Very clever. Br- very, very clever. Good, yeah, yeah, very, very good system. Well, this uh, is along those lines. In this case, some bad guys are using memes to uh, basically function as command and control servers. Ah. Now, a command and control server, uh, why don't you describe for us what that is, Joe? So, uh, and when you have to have a botnet, which is uh, a bunch of computers that have some malicious software on them that are under your control, they have to be able to communicate with some way to get their orders because right. these things have, for example, a denial, a distributed denial of service botnet. You can just build a, a DDoS botnet to target one target, yeah. but that's not very useful. Right. Uh, if I'm going to do this as a service, I need to be able to be paid. And then who do you want me to DDoS? And right. then I need to be able to tell all those malicious bots, here's who I want you to attack next. In order to do that, I need a command and control server. Right. Here are your marching orders. Exactly. So the, they check in with this server to see what they are ordered to do next. Right. And the bots will be written so that they check in with the command and control server periodically. And even if the command and control server goes down, they have backup command and control servers available to them. So what the folks at Trend Micro discovered was that there was some malware that had been installed on some people's machines. Mm -hmm. And they're not sure how the malware got installed. But in order to get their commands, instead of reaching out to a dedicated command and control server, they would check a Twitter account. Ah, okay. That's also very common. Yeah. And they would look at this Twitter, specific Twitter account. And on this Twitter account, there were memes and they were using steganography, hiding the commands within the graphic images of the memes. Uh Aha. And what's particularly useful about this is you know, it's uh, Twitter, of course, is a legit social network. Right. And you're going to want to generally give your employees or your network access to Twitter. It's a useful tool for business. Right. So it's you can't just say, well, let's block Twitter, right? And traffic going out to Twitter doesn't look suspicious. No, it doesn't. Someone going out to Twitter and taking a look at a graphic, there's nothing that raises a red flag about that. This it's not very like you're creative, actually. Not like you're going out and hitting some server in you know, some backwater in, in right. Russia or some, something. Some right? weird um, URL or, or something. That right. Is, it looks like a bunch of random characters. And generally speaking, it, it th- those are the ones they buy for command and control servers because nobody else is going to buy them. Right. 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 It's not memorable. So the folks at Trend Micro witnessed this malware installed on machines reaching out to this Twitter account, looking at these images, which then gave them commands. In this case, the commands were to do screen captures. Ah. So it would say, you capture a screen, send it here, and all that was hidden within the graphic images. Since then, Twitter has closed down the account that was serving as the command and control location. That but, doesn't um, mean they don't have another account out yeah, there on Twitter. Right, exactly. It's the sort of the classic whack-a-mole game. Yep. So an interesting uh, use of a, a useful public service right. hiding something in plain sight. Yeah, no, we see this a lot in command and controls. They'll connect to IRC channels because there are still actually IRC for any other people who remember communicating on IRC like it was the new cool thing. I do. They're still out there. And, you know, actually a lot of developers and, and other communities still use IRC. But they put IRC clients in their malware to go out and check in with the IRC channel on the right server and get their command and control stuff from it. You could do it as, with something as simple as putting it on Pastebin. There's all kinds of ways you can you can use these public services that are available, like Twitter, Pastebin, IRC, to control these botnets. It's very difficult to stop them. All right. Well, those are our stories for this week. Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. All right. Our catch of the day this week was sent in by a listener named Kyle, and he starts off and says, 
Warning, there are two risque photos in this text message conversation thread. Let me just say, Kyle, yes, there are. (laughs) (laughs) He says, oddly enough, at least two of my coworkers received these text messages a few days before me with the same photos. It looks to be a chat bot with the end game of a webcam site that asks for credit card info. Uh Now, there are a couple of things about this. First of all, the brilliance in Kyle's responses cannot go unnoticed. So (laughs) let me describe to you, the first thing in this is indeed a photo. Appears to be of a, well, it's definitely a young lady. Yes, it is. Uh, I cannot see her face because, well, why would that be important in something (laughs) like this? Uh, She is wearing a T-shirt. However, she has pulled the T-shirt up from her waist and she's holding it in her teeth. Right. Revealing everything underneath. Well, well, not everything underneath because she's wearing a black bra. So um, we're not seeing... Everything. Right. But uh, we're seeing enough that certainly uh, for regular uh, red-blooded men like you and me, Joe. This would get my attention. It would get my attention, <laughs> yes. So a, a fetching picture uh, that was sent out. And uh, so below this picture is uh, uh, Kyle's first response. And uh, Joe, I'll allow, allow you to read Kyle's response. Just send me the virus link. Virus? No. <laughs> LOL. Just send me the virus link. Hey, I'm in your area. What are you up to? I'm in town for a few nights if you'd like to meet tonight. Just send me the virus. Link. Just send me the virus. <laughs> like, I like the no nonsense. Uh, right. No, not. I, I think this is a brilliant way to respond to yeah, these sorts of things. Yeah, he sees this and, get, you know, I get th- these kind of followers on Instagram and they uh-huh. send me a message and I'm just like, Ugh. right. Yeah. Maybe I should say that next time. Just send me the virus link. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Kyle, thanks for sending this in. This is a good one. All right. Well, coming up next, we've got Carol Terrio. She's joining us with an interview with a physical pen tester who goes by the name Freaky Clown. And we are back, Joe. It is good to welcome back to the show our UK correspondent, Carol Terrio. This week, she has got the first of a two-part interview, actually. Here's Carol. You guys are in luck today because I have something pretty juicy. So juicy, in fact, that we've decided to divide it into two parts. Now, this is part one. And here you guys will meet professional physical hacker, Freaky Clown. Already you're interested, right? Now, he'll explain to us what he does for companies who want to test their physical defenses, and he will reveal some of the tricks he gets up to to bypass typical security measures. This is fascinating insight, and it's more than popcorn worthy. Listening to how he studies and looks at a target company might just get the rest of us to shift our thinking a little bit. Maybe if we take the time to think more like a predator we might just get some valuable insight into some of our inherent weaknesses. Anyway, here's part one. FC, thank you so much for joining us on Hacking Humans. Now, before we start, do you want to tell our lovely listeners about the origins of your name, FC? (laughs) Yeah, sure. FC stands for Freaky Clown. Freaky Clown. That's unusual. (laughs) It's it's not not the name my mother gave me. Uh, Probably much worse. No, Freaky Clown came from a nickname I had when I was a kid. And at the time I was getting into computers and stuff and I needed a hacker alias. Freaky Clown just sort of went into that really easily. I had several others at the time, but that one 
that one became popular and has stuck with me ever since. So the name chose you almost. Yeah, pretty much. It was, uh, it's been with me now for like 35 years, something like that. So I can't get rid of it. I can't shift it. Um, <laughs> so you've shortened it to FC. So I shortened it to FC because, uh, yeah, generally if you're in a, a, a meeting with some sort of high power people, they, they don't like saying freaky clown. They, they prefer FC. Your company website, Sygenta, mm -hmm. talks about you focusing on socio-technical knowledge. Can you give us a bit of insight of what that means? We understand that security is not just one part, right? We don't just do cyber security because cyber is just one of the three areas that you need in order to have security in a company. You need to understand that there's a physical element, which is one of my specialities. And then you've got the, the human side, the socio-technical side, the, the sort of crossover between how humans use technology and how they interact with it so that they can be more secure in their use of it. Because if you've got a large company that says they're secure, if they're not good in the cyber technical section, if they're not good in the socio-technical side, if they're not good in the, the physical side, it doesn't matter. It all falls apart because if you spend like, you know, a hundred million pounds on all of the, the technical controls on securing your company and you've put in loads of training for people, if I can still walk into your building and steal all the servers, it's all for naught. Um, so, and, and the same with any of those other bits, you can have Fort Knox, but if the people don't have the culture of security, then they'll let you through the gate. If those two parts are working and your, your cybersecurity is terrible and people can just get in over the internet, then again, you, you're kind of screwed. So that's really interesting. So you say you focus on the physical aspect of that. Do you mean literally breaking into a company or breaking into a server room, for instance? Yeah. So so my speciality at Sygenta is the technical and physical. So I do all of the like the really cool hackery stuff you all know about. But I also focus on the physical aspects of security. So in my career, I've broken into literally thousands of banks in my career. Yeah, it's, it's a great part of my job. I, I get to physically break into places. I get to steal stuff, all, all with permission, obviously. Um, yes, I was just going to say for our <laughs> listeners yeah. that this is from a white hat perspective, isn't it? Yeah, so, so people come to us uh, as a company and say, okay, look, we understand that we need some sort of security assessment. Will you come and use the same tools, techniques, and tradecraft that, that criminals are using nowadays in order to break into our company with our permission and then tell us how you did it. So that's where we come in. We sort of help companies become more secure by breaking into them. Okay, you must have some great stories. Maybe you can share a few. <laughs> where to even start? There was the, uh, the time I, I got asked to steal a helicopter. That was quite cool. The stealing of a gold bar. That was Okay, whoa, cool. whoa, whoa. Stealing a helicopter. <laughs> You're going to have to tell us. So in trying to break in or steal something from a company with permission, presumably only a tiny few people know about this going on and most people are in the dark, but there must be all these obstacles in the way to whatever the goal is. So, yeah, you'd think so. So how it all, all normally works is a company will come to us and ask us to do this assessment. And we will insist that the few people know about it, the better. Um, so this is generally okay. someone who's in charge of the security or some board level member. It depends what we're trying to test. If we're testing the executive board, they may not even know that this test is going to go on. Right. 
you know, I've got into a couple of places where I've where I've found letters that the board are being fired. So, so that was quite interesting. So because they didn't know that the test was going on. So yeah, it, the, the fewer people that know about the assessment is going on, the better because it makes it more real world. And I guess your findings are much more useful then. The point with this type of assessment is we'll always get in. So in the last like 20 odd years that I've been doing this, I've always got in 100% record that there's only been two times where it's gone wrong. And that's not because of something I've done or not done, but because of someone in the loop hasn't wanted the assessment to happen. So let me give you an example of this. I was asked to do a, a series of high street banks. It was a ridiculous amount. It, I think it was something like eight a week in different parts of the country. So every day, breaking into a new bank, then go on to the next one, did the same thing. But one particular area manager didn't want this to happen. He thought it was an attack against his job. And so what he did was he subverted this whole process and went and told everyone. And so I turn up to do an assessment at one of these uh, sites and I go in and I give them a little patter about how I need to speak to the manager, etc. And I get ushered aside to a waiting room. And uh, it's a little bit unusual because of uh, the story that I've given them. I should be being sort of ushered through quite quickly. So I'm waiting in this reception area and there's a, a guy sitting next to me. And he's uh, moaning about the mortgage that he's got with this bank and how they're screwing him over and how he's having a terrible time of it. And frankly, I don't care. Um, I'm just a little bit concerned that I'm sitting here waiting in this reception. And then um, 20 minutes go past. I'm still not seen. And then all of a sudden, blue flashing lights everywhere. Armed police sort of surrounded the bank, come running in. And I'm, I sort of look to the guy. I'm like, dude, this is for me. And he's like, and I thought I was having a bad day. So it turns out that uh, this guy had uh, tipped off his branches about this uh, attempted thing and the staff had got really nervous about it and thought I was genuinely trying to rob the bank. So they bypassed their processes and they called the cops and then the cops turn up and I'm like, dude, sorry, I'm trying to rob this bank, but not really. Um, so that was that was an interesting job. Certainly not a boring day. There's, there's never a boring day in my job, which is nice. <laughs> so maybe you can tell us about an example of where it went right. Like, how do you bypass the people? So just a typical example, you say you're going into a bank, you've got the receptionist there. So yeah, just want to walk through to kind of see how many people are actually involved you're trying to get from point A to point B. Yeah. So the first thing you want to do is have as little interaction with people as possible. The more people you are interacting with, the more likely you are to get caught. So right. the first thing you want to do is, is make sure you're, you're minimizing that. So if there's, if there's a reception staff, maybe try and find a way to bypass it without ever talking to them. That's going to be so much quicker to get in. But one of the first things that we do is we do a lot of reconnaissance work. So, you know, this is like a day or, or maybe a week before the assessment. We'll go and just look at the site, look at the people, figure out sort of you know their dress code because one of the important things is dressing like the people that you're going to go and infiltrate right so for example if you're if you're going into like just a normal everyday company they're probably you know business casual if you're going into like a, an investment bank they're going to be in suits and ties you know are they are they wearing like really smart shoes are they wearing expensive suits do you need like to go and get a, a you know handmade suit to fit in otherwise you're gonna stand out you stand out in your marks and spencer garb <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah you know we, we, i often hear a lot of people that they dabble in social engineering they're like oh just just get a high-vis jacket and you can walk in anywhere that's frankly box because if yeah. you <laughs> if you're trying to break into an investment bank and you're wearing a high-vis jacket you're yeah. gonna stand out like 
obviously you'll stand out but they'll pick up on certain things so for example one one client you can't go on specific floors unless you are wearing a tie they actually have a drawer of ties that they will lend you if you oh, don't Lordy. have one i bet so, they're based in the uk <laughs> yeah they are actually <laughs> um and it and it, it's it's stuff like that. So you you wouldn't be able to get away with with certain things. You have to really dress the part that you are playing. There are times that a high vis jacket is going to come in handy. You know, if you're pretending to be a a, a BT engineer or something like that, or a, a, an electrician or or a delivery driver, then that's great. But because most of the time it, it's a fallacy that you'd be doing that. You know, you're you're not going to pretend to be the pizza delivery guy turning up because if you do that you're going to get stopped at reception. They're not going to let just a pizza delivery guy go up on the floor where they hold the gold bars. You've bypassed reception, let's say. You've managed that. Check one, done. You have come in looking the part, so you fit in very well with the culture within the organization you're trying to yep. break into. What's next? So the important thing is is get a map of the place, right? This is really easy to do because every major building right every large building will have a, a fire map so if you just walk into the reception of any building you can just go in and have a look you could probably take a photograph or in some cases you can probably just rip it off the wall and walk out no one's ever been arrested for stealing a map <laughs> so you can go in and get like a really good layout of of the building and it's really important that you remember the layout because at some point probably you're going to have to do some running it's a very energetic uh, exercise sometimes you know so so often you'll you'll find that you're you're confronted by some security and so therefore you don't want to be a rat in the maze right you, yeah, you definitely exactly. want to know the layouts so you know where the exits are so you can get out of dodge exactly i mean yeah. i remember one bank actually in london i managed to find a a secret stairwell that wasn't on a map actually um i was looking through cupboards and I found this really tiny, thin cupboard and I opened it and there was a spiral staircase going down. I later found out that it was actually used by the high-end execs to sneak in and out of the building without their employees knowing. So it, it went all the way down to like their car park where they, they park their Ferraris and stuff. I'm sure those exist in lots of companies. So you now got the layout of the building, mm -hmm. you're in and what, you're armed with a letter. So you're basically going to meet someone. You've set up a meeting. No, 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 no. So, so generally what we get is a letter of authorization. And this basically is a letter that just says, you know, this guy is here doing this assessment and it's signed by whoever's in charge of the assessment. And here's some contact details. Get out of jail free card. Basically get out of jail free card. And I've never had to use one because uh, I generally don't get caught. So it's quite cool. But there's an extra little step that I always put in which is I'll make a fake version of that letter so that if I ever get caught I can produce the fake letter because then that tests their policies because it will always say on it you know don't don't use your mobile to, to just phone these numbers um, go to your internal address book and use your phone to tell you the number of the person because what I do on the fake ones is I'll put, you know, the guy's proper name and then my mate's telephone number. Right. So what will happen is they'll try and verify that I'm supposed to be there, look at the letter, find the, the telephone number and just ring it. Um, and that'll be my work colleague. And they'll be like, yeah, he's fine. Let him go. So oh, that's it, so it, it, sneaky, FC. <laughs> but it, it's, uh, I've never had to use it, but I, I taught that trick to a friend of mine and he actually used it once. Um, he turned up at a, a site and he got caught by a, a security guard 
and they phoned me and they were like oh are you this like this guy i was like yeah i'm the ceo he's supposed to be doing a thing let him in it's all fine just leave him alone to do his job and so they let him in (laughs) so there's always another step that you can take well there you have it part one of our interview with freaky clown i certainly never considered thinking about a company in this way and maybe some of you out there were just like me so hopefully this helped give a different perspective on how to think about security. This was Carol Terrio for Hacking Humans. Boy, Freaky Clown is the guy you want to chat with at a cocktail party, isn't he? Yeah, he is. <laughs> you know what? I am so disappointed that no one has ever asked me to steal a helicopter. Uh, yeah. I now have a yeah. new life goal, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> also, I need a secret staircase. Don't we all? Yeah. Don't we all? Yeah, that's a great interview. It's I love listening to these stories. I love listening to these physical penetration testers talk about how they get in. I'm, I'm amazed that she has a 100% success record that he's never screwed up. I, mm-hmm. He must be remarkably good, unless someone sabotaged him, of course, Yeah, like he told, told in that story. I love the idea of the fake get-out-of-jail-free card. Right. You know, I might just start carrying these around <laughs> just on purpose, you know, right, and, right, and right. just see if I can get some of <laughs> yeah, here's the one from McDonald's. Here's the one from Walmart. Here's the one from, t- you know, just, you know, as you go around shoplifting, as you do. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> when you get caught. Exactly. You know, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just testing your security. I'm testing here's, your security. Here are my here's, papers. Here's my paper. Right. And it's on Walmart letterhead, mm-hmm. which I can just print up with an inkjet printer, I'm sure. <laughs> good stuff. It good is good stuff. stuff. That is a great interview. I'm really looking forward to part two. And of course, always great having Carol Terrio join us. And uh, yeah, looking forward to part two of that interview. And that is our podcast. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more about them at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Ivan. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.